Hashtag Psychotherapy Unfogged with Mark Fielding Right, hi, welcome to our listeners. Um, welcome to Psychotherapy Unfogged. I mean, as you know, and as Joe talked about um, at the end of the last show, Joe has, the creative genius of the show, has kind of moved on to do film projects so i'm taking over the show we've rebranded slightly and you'll see that you know we've rebranded on social media the show will remain the same season three you know as you know is the theme has been road to recovery and recovery so we're going to continue that theme with uh, with season three and the show will kind of look like it did really with joe i mean i'm going to kind of interview people with lived experience in terms of recovery and you know the road to recovery and also some industry professionals so you know it will look kind of the same um but i'm keen to introduce our guest for today um so just introducing lucy self pr consultant yoga teacher and founder of self lifestyle so thanks so much for coming on lucy i mean maybe we could kick off i could just ask you a little bit about yourself and you know and if you could bring a little bit around you know recovery in that would also be good Absolutely. Okay. So yeah, so as you said, um, I am a few things. Uh, A yoga teacher is something that was more recent. Um, In terms of my professional life, I I freelance and have a company called Self Lifestyle now, which is kind of PR and marketing communications. Um, And personally, I, well, one of the things I think is maybe more relevant to this podcast is that I am almost five years sober um, from, so I'm in AA and I'm as from alcoholism. Um, and I also have kind of been on a mental health journey, you know, for years. So I've been lots of different practices, um, but I kind of consider myself to be someone who's always kind of working, I guess, on my mental health. So sort of pre-recovery, I was all, I was doing a lot of work anyway, and it's all led really to where I am now, I guess. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, as I said many times on the show, you know, I'm a big believer in kind of working on mental health. You know, I think working on mental health and having strategies that we use, you know, every week really is incredibly important. So I'm guessing this is kind of feeding into to what you're saying. I mean, if it's like, I mean, so five years in recovery from alcoholism, I mean, that is absolutely fantastic. Could you tell tell us a little bit around perhaps where you were before and then your recovery journey and you've, you've kind of been a member of AA so that's been part of it hasn't it from what you say yeah so yeah so um I I mean in, I mean I, I sort of share an AA like part of the practice of being in recovery and in the um, Alcoholics Anonymous is that you are asked to, to share a lot of meetings so this, so I'll try and do it in a short you normally do a 20 minute share but I'll try and do it in a slightly short synopsis yeah, um, we, we, we have time Lucy it, I mean just yeah. we, it doesn't have to be massively short Okay. Uh, so I, so yeah, so in terms of drinking, I mean, I think, I think drinking was just something you learn when you've been in recovery that for a while, I guess that, you know, we all have tools to cope. And I think that with the first time I picked up a drink, I was 11. Um, and I, you know, and I, and it, it worked for me, you know, I liked the feeling. Um, I, it was a peach snaps and lemonade on holiday in Spain. And, um, and I think I, you know, I also really like the sugar. I really, like, I always say that I always share that because, you know, I cross addictions. I've always, I, you know, food's kind of a thing for me as well. Um, and yeah. And then, and then from then really, I mean, you know, there were times in my twenties and, you know, through my teens and stuff where obviously like drinking was fun and, and I had lots of fun drinking, but also I also really liked the way that drinking made me feel, um, and I guess that was taking me away from whatever the anxiety or mental health stuff that was going on with me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so you know when I was a teenager I yeah I don't know I guess I always just felt quite uncomfortable with my body I was kind of a chubby child I had I guess I had quite a lot of anxiety I think I I, I went into fantasy a lot when I was a child um I maybe didn't feel comfortable with the world or the you know situations that I was in and kind of being in like a mindful state so I would sort of just wander off um and yeah and I think and I think as soon as I found alcohol I think it sort of facilitated that and you know when I was in my teens and stuff there were loads of times when basically what would happen is that I would take one drink and then you know it it was like I fell down a rabbit hole you know so it would be I'd wake up the next day and my friends would tell me that I don't know I'd like piss someone off or I'd snog someone in a park I didn't mean to or whatever it was um so it was kind of mild stuff at first but then throughout my 20s you know it just gets worse and the thing about alcoholism the thing that I know now um is that you know it's a progressive illness so it just got worse you know um so if if in my teens or in my sort of late teens you know, I might wake up and I would have upset someone in my 20s. That might be that I had like a caution by my bed because I'd been arrested the night before and I hadn't remembered. Or um, I'd be covered in blood because I would have cycled home blackout drunk and, you know, hit the like fallen over a million times. Um, I moved to Dubai in my late 20s. Mostly, I partly I think because... I was running away from what was becoming evident in London, which was that my alcoholism and a lot of um, the decisions I was making, which included getting into a really huge amount of debt. So I was in 20,000 pounds worth of debt when I moved to Dubai. Um, I think I was running away. So I moved to Dubai. But what happened there is that you, I always put, put that kind of addictive behavior into a pressure cooker because I had less people around me. I had less of a support network. Um, and I had more occasion, I guess, to drink by myself. So some of that, some of that alcoholic behavior that that maybe I hadn't done before. Like I had housemates that I would sneak down and, and sort of steal their like port and then fill it up with Ribena or, you know, those kind of things. Like I st- I started doing those kind of things. I think cause I could maybe get away with a little bit isolating more. Um, yeah. And then it kind of really, and then I, because, and the thing that the side effect of that is that you have, you know, I felt very depressed, you know, I mean, I was actually seeing a psychotherapist in Dubai not long before I got into recovery. And he did the classic 20 or 10 or however many questions it is to kind of check where you are in terms of depression. And he diagnosed me with depression, you know, like it wasn't like, it, you know, they, they he said, I think you're answering this question suggesting you have it. Um, so, you know, but, but now I think perhaps that was a side effect of the drinking and the shame and all the things that were happening when I was, but, yeah. but that is a fact, you know, that's a fact at the time when I was an antidepressant. So, it was it, it exacerbated. It just got worse and worse um, until eventually um, I I just couldn't do it. One day I just it, it wasn't actually what happened. And, and they talk about this actually. If you if you're in if you're in recovery um, and you go into AA, they have the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is kind of like the the, the guidebook to to the steps and how you know in recovery mm-hmm. and how to get sober. And it talks in there how quite often people don't realize they're an alcoholic until they actually stop drink trying to stop drinking, and that's when you really realize and that is absolutely the case for me there was a there was like a six month period in Dubai where I kept trying to stop so I, it was Ramadan and I tried to give up for the 30th of the month of Ramadan it was Christmas and I said to my family like I, I definitely need to stop drinking so I'm not going to drink on Christmas day and I think I got to 4 p.m and then I was just like I can't not drink um so that was the bit I think that was what sort of the, my slow sort of um crash landing was me really trying to give up and not being able to on my own and then realizing like shit this is actually a problem and that's when I finally kind of went into AA um Mm. slightly kicking and screaming because it's really scary yeah 
um and the first time you you know the first meeting I went to um I don't know I, I was hanging out it was it was in a it was in my office in Dubai there were two buildings next to each other and the, the AA meeting was in one and my office was in the other so it was like you know they call that higher power stuff in the rooms um but I but yeah the but the, the fact is so I I went there and there was a coster at the bottom and I was like hanging around before the meeting like terrified heart thumping thinking like oh I don't know if I could do this I don't know if I could do this and then I eventually did um walked in and just I you know they say it they say it a lot like um that you've they use expressions like found my tribe but that is kind of what happened really you know it's I went in and the thing about group therapy and AA and all that stuff is you if if you hear stuff that's in your head as someone else say you immediately feel a sense of like relief and belonging um well I mean I don't know if everyone does but that's how I felt and and that was enough, even though I didn't really understand what was going on, um, to keep me coming back. And I always, I always mention this because I think it's really important. I, like the second time I started talking to alcoholics, the second meeting or something I went to, one of the women shared that she wet the bed too. And I used to get drunk and wet the bed. And that was something that I'd had a huge amount of shame over. Yeah. And I think that's the beautiful thing about those AAs for me, or at least at the beginning, is that you hear people share hugely personal things like that Mm. and all of a sudden you just don't feel as ashamed anymore and that is so powerful because the thing about I've realized and I still do it I can still keep myself in shame now if I'm in shame I I want to lock myself away and I'm not honest and I can't be vulnerable um and then that keeps me alone and that's the thing that I felt when I was young Mm. and I think that's the thing that I have to constantly fight against and and I think alcoholism from what I've learned facilitates, you know, like someone said, and I remember someone really early on saying to me, an addiction wants to get you in a room by itself so it can kill you. And, mm-hmm. and so just, and the thing is so to shame, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's what I fight out. That's what I'm fighting against all the time. So I have lots of coping mechanisms now and I've built up lots over my life, even before I was in recovery, really to stop me from feeling alone. Cause that's where I, I don't know, that's where all this stuff kind of festers. Mm-hmm. Um, So, yeah, and then I've been in, I mean, I can talk lots about recovery itself, but that was my journey to recovery, really. Yeah, I mean, just to pick up on some of the the things that you you said, so, so much in what you said, you know, so partly, I mean, I I think this is probably true with with, with most addictions, they gradually creep up, don't they? You know, the reasons for people becoming addicted are very, you know, personal, you know, and very, very complex, you know, so I guess looking at what you said about your history, there was maybe some anxiety there. That perhaps the alcohol helped with initially i mean the the low mood and the depression came in probably as a result of the guilt and shame of you know of, of the of the addiction you know and that i think is always the case with with addictions you know i mean people get addicted to everything don't they you know shopping i mean everything eating not eating there's a million things people get addicted to and the addiction cycle you know is always bad feelings are present and the addictive substance is used in order to manage the bad feelings. And then once the addictive substance stops, then the bad feelings come back with, you know, a load of guilt and shame, which, you know, lead the person to then want the addictive substance again. I mean, that generally is the, you know, the addiction cycle, isn't it? So easy to drop into, you know, I mean, I'm looking at kind of cultural perspectives as well. You know, certainly in British culture, you know, drinking in your 20s is, you know, I mean, I want to say it's kind of encouraged, really. I mean, there is a real cultural perspective, so it's kind of normalised. And then, so it became worse and worse. And I guess, you know, there were times when you are in danger, you know, times when you are coming home. So that made you realise that it was getting out of control. And really interesting that when you wanted to stop, 
you found that you couldn't. And that was the moment perhaps when you realized that the addiction had taken you over. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, yeah, there are a few things you said there actually that made me think and, and, you know, touching on the danger. I mean, I, I, I touched on it briefly, but there are a lot, there are a lot more dangerous situations for me. Um, but, but, but actually that's actually really interesting in itself because they, they talk about it. My understanding of, of addiction or, or my own alcoholism now is that one of the madnesses is that you don't, you know, you almost don't realize you, the denial around it is huge, you know? So yeah. for years and years and years, you know, I, I always tell a story because uh, taxis is a weird um, thing for me, like in my like recurring theme in, in my in my drinking, which is maybe like middle class drinking. But anyway, um, that I would pass out in taxis and that might be, you know, I used to pass out. I used to. So in Portsmouth, actually, the first time I did that, I was about 18 and I'd gone to a pub in Southsea, got really drunk, blackout drunk. I woke up. I'd left the pub at 11, woke up at three in the morning in somewhere halfway between my house and Southsea which is an area in Portsmouth and mm. the taxi driver, I passed out in the taxi and the taxi driver, not knowing where I lived, had just pulled in to a side road and it just covered me with a blanket and let me sleep. And I woke up to being covered with a blanket. But the thing is that guy, and it was like four hours later. So that mm. guy could have raped me, killed me, whatever. Yeah. Um, but, and, and, you know, and it used to happen in my, in my twenties in London that I would part the train that I, cause I lived in Newcross, the train would go from London bridge to Newcross, but it would go straight to Kent. So if I fell asleep on that train, I'd end up in Kent quite often. Mm. And sometimes I'd jump in a taxi with no money and then blag my way home. And then when I got to Newcross, just have to run out before the doors locked or just try and like mm-hmm. give a sob story to the taxi driver did the same thing in Dubai, you know? So it's like, so I put myself in, I put myself in danger. I remember like taxi drivers locking the door on me, threatening to call the police, could have you know could have you know threatened to rape me whatever um so yeah so the danger but the reason I'm saying all those stories is that the danger you know so it's not like the signs weren't there for years that's I think that's my point the signs that perhaps I was taking it a little bit too far were there it's just I wasn't but it didn't until right until the end I didn't it didn't really even occur to me that I had that much of a problem with drinking I thought maybe I drank a little bit too much um but I also have a family you know my like my mum like is a blackout drinker like always has been like and you know and that's not something you know that I, I'm not saying she's got she's got alcoholism but she but she but I've, I have a culture of a family that it seems relatively normal to be blackout so it's not yeah. so it's not like I it occurred to me that that was particularly a bad thing um and then sorry there was a second part where you talked about recover something about recovery that i've forgotten yeah i mean yeah i mean i'll come to that but yeah i mean the family system we don't have to go into family system particularly but you know some of this is learned you know is is possibly learned from you know i mean i brought in the cultural perspective yeah there's a family system perspective as well you know kind of growing up you know what is our family doing what are our attachment figures what's their relationship with alcohol you know any addiction is incredibly kind of complex and so to see you know really brave of you to go to AA goodness me what a moment like when you're I mean I'm not surprised you were terrified I mean because there was an expectancy you were going to talk about well I guess you were going to admit to a group of strangers that you were an alcoholic and then be expected to share some of your experiences I mean that must have been terrifying I mean picking up the kind of normalizing that happens I mean that's something you might do you know I might do in, in psychotherapy you know because I think people people can store up so much shame around things that are going on for them, you know, and I think even, you know, one person, a psychotherapist or a group just say, yeah, you know, I experienced exactly the same thing. Just that I think can be really helpful. That sounds like it really helped you. I mean, could I ask, so after that initial AA meeting, 
what was it like to to recover i mean to kind of push through because i'm guessing there was an urge to drink probably that stayed around for a bit yeah it's quite interesting actually because i you know i hear a lot people talking about the kind of alcohol dependency and the physical dependency but i don't Mm. think i physically had a dependency in the sense Mm. that i didn't have to detox um emotionally the thing for me is that I'd used it as a I'd used it as a way to suppress my emotions I guess for a long time mm-hmm. so that first year was pretty um I mean they call it the pendulum swing but I was you know I was going back and forth back and forth between lots of different emotions and kind of oscillating mm-hmm. and and panicking you know um but the, I'm, I kind of want to go back to like my first meeting because what I wanted to say mm-hmm. is that it wasn't actually difficult for me to share like I just want to I think that's important okay. to explain just because I'd been in therapy. So I took an overdose when I was 15. And like, even though, like, I don't want to say that in a blithe way, but the thing that that did for me in a positive way is that I I got put into therapy, like, because I think you have to, because you're underage and like it was the NHS yeah, or whatever. Sure. And so I, and I'd been in and out of therapy from the age of 15. I basically, every time my life had got a bit rocky, mostly to do with relationships, if I'm honest, mm-hmm. um, I'd gone back to therapy. So I'd been by the time I got to AA, I'd been in and out of therapy for God, like, I've, I think I got in when I was 32. So you know, it's like almost 20 years of therapy, I'd, mm. I'd had on and off. So I was very used to talking about my feelings. Okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't have an issue with that. But it was just, I guess, it was hearing the other people share the experiences of what being an alcoholic is in terms of like the shame stuff that because obviously therapy is a very different model to that, you know, but in therapy, you're sharing stuff, but you're not necessarily yeah. getting you know your therapist isn't saying oh yeah I went to bed too you know that's not how it works um and I think that was quite transformative for me Mm. um but then yeah so what it was like in my first year I think it it was it it was difficult it's difficult before you start to feel the benefits of you know the steps of AA are essentially a a 12-step process that that forces you to kind of look inwardly um you know at your behaviors I guess and like and try and find like, essentially some different coping mechanisms that, mm. that aren't alcoholism basically in a nutshell um but obviously you don't just do them I mean some people do them really quickly but I didn't do them that quickly um so I would jump in that first year I would just be like okay well I feel bad how do I how do I fix this and if I couldn't get to an AA meeting or speak to my a my sponsor or whatever it was mm. in terms of AA recovery stuff which was incredible and did really help me really quickly mm. um I would go shopping and spend money on credit cards I didn't have because as I said I was in 20,000 pounds worth of debt um I would eat everything um so I used to eat carrot cake every single day um I would quite obsessively I've always you know I found men- uh, yoga and exercise was something I found quite early on so I think I started mm-hmm. doing that kind of stuff when I was like 14 15 sometimes to a- an obsessive amount that wasn't healthy but a lot of the time it was healthy mm-hmm. um so I did a lot of that um but I basically I had to find so- a lot in that first year I kind of had to find something else to, to distract me because the truth yeah. is I wasn't okay inside you know there was all of this stuff swirling around inside of me um I was still seeing a therapist um I was seeing a psychotherapist and I was on antidepressants um but quite often in that first year for example I would in Dubai you have to pay for your therapy to get the antidepressants you can't just get antidepressants on prescription through a doctor that's not how it works okay. so I used to have to have money to have that session but what would happen is sometimes I would I'd get a bit unmanageable with my finances and then I wouldn't be able to afford it and then I wouldn't be able to get my antidepressants and then I'd go off them really quickly and like lose my mind for like a week yeah, or whatever. That's not good, yeah. No, no, no. And um so yeah, so there was a lot of sort of ricocheting 
um it's what I would call it of just trying to find my way um but what I did found helped and it was a bit boring it's like I would sort of work and then just like I'd get on the metro I'd go to the 7-Eleven I'd get a microwave meal I'd go home I'd get into bed and I'd just watch Netflix and even though it was a relatively boring existence it it did help just to get my head you know they say in AA like just get your head on the pillow <laughs> just don't drink and get your head on the pillow so yeah. it it's like sometimes when things when your brain is full of quite complicated or not necessarily complicated but there's a lot going on mm -hmm. I guess my answer was sort of like simplify everything else around me and just be like okay we need to do this this and this today and then just get home get to bed mm -hmm. um do something good try and eat something good whatever it is you know mm -hmm. um and do, doing that every day and getting some days ahead of you um is yeah I don't know I found that to be really really helpful and I guess I really enjoyed and I don't, I know this doesn't work for everyone, but I really enjoyed the counting days because it was like a tangible way of being like, oh, okay, I've got seven days now. Like, okay, I've got 10 days now. Yeah. Um, and and that I found, I found that personally to be really, really helpful. And they they ask you in, in AA meetings or they did in the ones I went to in Dubai in your 30, first 30 days of sobriety or 90 days of sobriety to share your day count. Um, and I appreciate if you're relapsing, that could be quite hard. But for me, I that I found that really I found that really helpful because it, it it held me accountable and it just meant that I could see my progress. Yeah. Um and that's something I like about yoga, conversely, because if it, there's certain yoga classes where you do the same moves every time and you see your progress and mm. my brain and my whatever it is inside me responds quite well to that. It 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 means I sort of it, it helps me to move forward. Um so yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I mean, all of these things are wins, you know, I mean, often with people with depression, you know, I, I just doing exactly what you've detailed, you did, you know, just really simplifying life and just, you know, having small things as achievements, like for someone that is very depressed, maybe just going out, going to the supermarket, you know, and, and coming back and watching a couple of shows or calling a friend or these don't have to be massive wins, you know, but having small wins that can be achieved i think is tremendously empowering and i guess from what you say counting the days of your sobriety i mean that i can imagine that must help a lot of people because i guess you're seeing you know every day you're seeing progress you're moving into you know into the kind of person and the life that you want to have so that must have been really really self-reinforcing yeah 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 yeah, yeah. I, I mean i think like i said i i have seen that not work for everyone because I know it can put pressure on yourself but I yeah. and I don't you know I know this is about me but it's just it's just it's just a comment on that because I I yeah. don't want I because I don't think I think these things aren't prescriptive are they I think you know I think sometimes which is I the best yeah. the best shares I've heard in AA and the best experiences and the best people the people that have helped me the most with my recovery constantly reiterate that this is how it works for them and that's all yeah, they can share yeah, um so that's why I'm saying that I just want because because yeah. I think that's really important for anyone who's listening to not be like oh well I did that and that didn't work for me because it because you, you have to find what works for you but yes yeah. for me personally yeah. I think I just think that was it, it just felt like a win you know it felt like if mm. I got a few days it was just tangible like I respond really really well to tangible like you know I like things like to do lists now um with my mental health it's like if I feel because I've got quite a busy life now um and you know like recovery and working doing all this work on myself has given me some incredible things like I have my own company now and I have these really amazing family relationships and I have a lot of people that come to me with stuff and I you know I'm really active in AA and I teach yoga on the side and all this stuff but you know sometimes I get so overwhelmed but the simple act for me of just just 
just slowing down and writing a to-do list you know like it's it, it can change my day just doing that um but that is just for me you know some people might do that and that's too prescriptive like you know yeah and yeah and, and I, I totally agree with you I mean everyone's journey through you know whatever they're going through everyone's you know scaffolding for mental health is, is is different I mean everyone has their own journey so I think it's really important that you, you say that yeah because I guess the danger is somebody tries to you know do what you've done and they don't succeed and then they blame themselves and they feel worse so yeah I mean it, it does take a bit of time to work out what strategies we can bring in to make us feel good I mean just going back to something you said a few minutes ago you know so there were some healthy coping strategies initially and there were some less healthy ones so you know spending money I mean that is a very very common thing that people do isn't it to feel good you get the dopamine hit you buy something it feels good you know unfortunately it doesn't feel good for very long you know there's the whole hedonic adaption thing which we won't go into into here but there were also kind of like really healthy coping strategies like the yoga and you've been working on your mental health you know for a while kind of wanting to add one other thing as well something else you said you know there is a lot of growth, I think, through, you know, through going through difficult times, you know, and I, I'm really getting that from you, you know, I mean, you know, the world is set up that, you know, suffering, that growth really comes from suffering, doesn't it? So when we suffer, you know, it's not always the case, you know, but often our, our personal growth is accelerated. So that's something I just want to get in. I'm really kind of um, getting from you. Can we talk about the, the the coping strategies that you use now? So you mentioned yoga and your, your yoga teacher, perhaps you could say a bit more about that, Lucy? Absolutely. So I found yoga, oh God, years ago now, when I was in my 20s, um, probably at my most chaotic in terms of my drinking. Um, you know, I, was, I was working PR in London and I used to go on my lunch breaks. So I used to run like a nutter on my lunch breaks and go do an hour of Bikram yoga, like sweat for an hour and then come back to the office. You know? um, but it but it really, really worked uh, for me. I, I just loved it immediately. I love the discipline. I love the breathing. I love the culture. I just loved everything about it. Um, and yeah. And so I started practicing then and, and you know, and, and it it has always been a really positive thing for me um but i do but possibly in those days like for example sometimes i used to go out drinking at three in the morning then still get up at 5 a.m cycle to an hour of bikram yoga and then cycle another 12 miles to work you know like i i probably also use it slightly to manage some of my drinking like for hangovers and stuff like that but whatever the point is is it was it was it was perhaps more positive thing than others um and then yeah i just continue to do it so um Particularly, I guess, in those last years of drinking, like that last year of drinking in in Dubai, I was doing I was also sort of coinciding with that. Um, one of my best friends was living in Dubai and she trained to be a yoga teacher. So I was practicing with her a lot. Um, and her and I have always had this very strong soul connection, always really connected and talked about our feelings. And I've always felt really comfortable around her. So, you know, it it I I think it was then that I realized that yoga is not just moving your body, you know, like if you, if you want to invest in it and you do want to kind of look at the philosophy and look at the feelings behind it and look at the, even something as simple as the breathing, it it really, there's so much in it that can, that can help with mental health. And yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, even like the, what, when I teach now, there's something that I do, which is if you just elongate your exhales to meet your inhales, you tell your body to just slow down and relax you know you can literally just calm your mind by just elongating your exercise yeah. and that's before you've even moved your body you know um so and I have to be a bit careful now that I teach that I don't bring too much of my own journey into it you know but but also bring enough into it because it's really important to me to share those things um yeah. but anyway so yeah so I so that that was my kind of year before I got into recovery and then obviously as soon as I got sober 
my yoga really took off because without the hangovers and without any of that, you know, that excessive behavior in terms of drinking, I had a slightly cleaner slate. Um, so I could get up and do, you know, so I was doing, sometimes I was doing like three, four, five sessions of yoga a week. I found Ashtanga yoga, which is quite hard disciplined yoga. I mentioned before, it doesn't work for everyone, but it's a, it's, it's a set sequence that's quite hard. And the more you push yourself, the more results you'll see and you'll get stronger and you'll be able to do the, the poses better and all the rest of it. And I, I found that discipline to be really helpful in my first few years of recovery. Conversely, I ended up not doing so much now because I ended up getting issues in my hip with the repetitive movement. Mm. But the point is at the beginning, that really helped me. Um, and yeah, and then, but I learned lessons. You know, I remember even with that, like I remember I had injured myself and I went back to a class and and I was doing the I was doing the class, but I, I was really keen that the teacher understood that I was better. I used to be better, and that you know, like I I didn't I was injured, but actually, you know, I wasn't that, that normally. You know, I was much better at this class. So I went up to him at the end and said to him, "Just want to let you know, like I'm injured, but normally I'm much better or whatever." And he looked at me and he, he said, "I think you probably need to look at your ego rather than your practice." Um, <laughs> yeah. And and you know, and it, and it, he was right. You know, like who cares? Yeah. You know, and and that's something I try and I try and teach now is that you know, like when you're on that mat like you should be it's it's all about what you're doing and like because people can't help it can they like they're competitive you know all that stuff comes out mm-hmm. so there's so much there's so much to learn from basically you're just getting on your mat and moving but there's so much to learn within that space if you have if you open your mm-hmm. mind to it and that's what I love about yoga mm-hmm. um and then when I taught what was incredible about the philosophy of yoga when you when I learned about it when I when I did my teach training in Spain which was two and a half years ago between the so I moved back to Dubai after the from Dubai after the first lockdown, two and a half years sober, and I went off to Spain and did my yoga teacher training in the October of that year. So that was twenty twenty. Um, anyway, when I was doing the training, um, the philosophy of yoga. One of the things I found amazing about it was that there were there were so many parallels with with AA and drinking and the philosophies that I'd learned because they all borrow this stuff really from different religions and different you know mental health yeah. practices. Um, and there's a thing in yoga called tapas and rituals, and it's all around basically healthy rituals that you do every single day. And these are in ancient ancient texts. Um, and it was just so similar and to the, to the stuff that they teach in AA. And then there's another thing about restraints, like the things they call them restraints in yogic texts, but in AA, you call them character defects that you, but, but the idea really is, is that we all have defense mechanisms that, that come out. So if, you know, if my boyfriend says something that upsets me and I feel fearful, I might be needy. I might be, you know, I might be jealous, you know, and it's like that, sure. it's that, con, it's that concept that, that if there's something inside me, it's a restraint or whatever you want to call it, but it's going to make me act in a way that is potentially going to, you know, stop me having an intimate relationship, stop me, you know, getting on in the world and kind of being the best version of myself, I guess, whatever. Um, So that was, I found that really, I found that amazing about yoga. I found that it it coincided so beautifully with some of the stuff that I was learning in AA and in mental health and, Mm. um, yeah, so you can, so it's, you know, the asanas and the movements, but there's so much else about it. There's so, you know, which is the thing that I love. Um, yeah, and I've, and so I've continued to practice and teach now. To, and it really just beautifully works alongside all the other stuff I do, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. I mean, I could yeah. go on and on, but that's some of the examples. But, but the connect, I mean, I've, I mean, I've, I meditate, I've not done yoga, but the connection with body and mind, I mean, and, and the philosophy, I've read a little bit about the philosophy of, it's very very rich isn't it 
I mean, yeah. it really, really is, you know, it, it is, you know, it, it is about moving your body and, you know, there are massive benefits to that, you know, but I mean, it is about a way of being, isn't it? There's a deep philosophy to it. I mean, there's a reason these things have been around for thousands of years, isn't it? You know, so, yeah. I mean, so if, so if, if somebody wanted to attend one of your, one of your yoga classes, I mean, where, where, where do you practice? I mean, how would they do that? Um, so I um, I actually have been um, a substitute teacher at a studio called Lano um, Yoga in Southsea um, for the past almost year now. Um, but I'm actually starting a new class at Coast Guard Studio in Southsea um, every Thursday from six till seven. So that's that's um that's something that I've I've started because as I've said I haven't actually um been teaching for like only two years like, since I trained. Um, and it took me a while for confidence and all the rest of it to get you know to get teaching um and I sort of started the substitute teaching at Lano to make sure I was kind of up to you know up to scratch and had loads of practice in me and then I've kind of got to the point recently where I've been like I really want my own students and you know I want to start yeah. doing my own thing um so that's why I've I'm, I'm starting this weekly session at the request of lots of friends actually in Southie who that I've practiced with or that I've taught I've said you have to do your own thing yeah. um so that's what I'm doing I'm starting this weekly session which will be kind of restorative vinyasa flow which is what I, what I learned um, and it will incorporate it will incorporate some of the philosophies in a gentle way of um, of stuff that I really, really believe in, you know, with movement. So people can come if they're, you know, beginners or if they're super into this stuff, they might get something out of it as well. So it's kind of a combination of the two. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, and that is fantastic, and, and we'll, we'll we'll put that on all our socials. So if our listeners, you know, live in the area, and you know they want to contact you, then just look on our socials, and you'll have your contact details. And with when we were getting through the show really, really quickly, but I wanted to ask you about you're the founder of Self Lifestyle. I'm yeah. really interested in that. Perhaps you could say a bit more about that, Lucy. Absolutely. So I've I've worked in PR for years. Um, I trained as a journalist actually, and then didn't do very long in journalism before I realized it was quite hard to make make your way in it and moved into PR um in my 20s and spent years kind of promoting like really fancy restaurants in London went over to Dubai and then started promoting like luxury hotel groups mostly um you know which had its had its benefits and you know I did lots of travel and all the rest of it and but I kind of got back to the UK and ended up moving back in with my mum and her flat in Southsea, like by the sea. And I'd lived in cities for years and years and years. I'd love the city life. Um, I'd moved back. I moved back here and I started walking by the sea every day. I started swimming in the sea every day, which I still do, which is another one of my mental health practices. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's superb and I, I bang yeah. on about it all the time. But um, so, and I just realized that I kind of wanted, my friend Jen recently said to me, you've got a really lovely little life. And I thought that's exactly what I want. Just a little, mm-hmm. lovely, quiet, serene life. And yeah one of those things was not to go back into like a corporate office and work for like these big PR agencies where there's lots of pressure you're normally in a city Mm. it's really fast paced like I just I just really felt instinctively that that's not what I wanted Mm. and I was really lucky that I looked on this PR freelancer group when I got back and an old uni friend of mine happens to be the comms director for this incredible charity called Food Cycle um Food Cycle is a national charity they've got 60 projects across the UK Basically, in a nutshell, they take food that would have been thrown away, surplus food, and they turn it into community meals. Um, And this happens around the country Mm -hmm. and they're completely free. Anyone in the community can can attend. And the idea is that not just that you're saving food and people, you know, yes, they feed people that are homeless, refugees, etc. But also you can be like, you know, someone who might have, you know, elderly person who might have lost a partner and just is a bit lonely. You might just be someone that feels really passionately about not wasting food or you might just like like to be part of the community and want to go and have a chat you know like that's the idea that 
that people connect as opposed to just, you know, just getting rid of this food and helping food poverty. So I, so I started doing, I started working with Carly at Food Cycle and I just absolutely loved it. And I was doing it as a freelancer, um, as a PR manager and, and doing that. And I'd for years been doing this PR work where I was selling, selling in like luxury hotels to journalists or selling in some like random restaurant in like London to, you know, and, it, and it, it's quite hard, like, cause it's quite cynical and journalists are very savvy to that cynical salesy stuff. Mm-hmm. What I have found with food cycle, ironically, is that like I'm doing something I love and it's also like easy because journalists, of course, journalists want to hear about these amazing stories about these case mm-hmm. studies of like, you know, like this amazing single mom that comes to our project in Birmingham or whatever. So it, it is such a pleasure. It's made my job into something before that was not always a struggle but it was hard and it was stressful into this thing that is just beautiful you know it's like I absolutely it's just it doesn't feel like a chore at all um and so then from that you haven't answered your question yet which is what is self-lifestyle I decided to set up self-lifestyle which is basically my company um and what I try to do is take on and work with clients that that you know maybe charity clients um like slightly ethical brands like I've got a sustainable coffee brand that I really love um so yeah so it's just it's just basically working for people and trying to promote people that perhaps align with the values that I've learned over the years it's not that I won't take a luxury hotel from time to time because obviously we all have to do we all have to make money um but I've tried I'm trying to promote and talk about things that you know that that I feel passionate about because I think that's really important um Mm. for all of us yeah I mean well, I mean, the, the food cycle, that sounds absolutely fantastic, you know, and self-lifestyle. I mean, you've gradually created a life that, you know, that well, it's a life really, it's a professional life that, you know, that is really kind of associated with helping others. You know, I mean, that is, you know, obviously absolutely fantastic, but it also fits with your values. So, you know, so living the life, the professional life that, that you live now also brings you happiness i mean helping others is part of that isn't it you know it does i mean we don't do it for that reason but it does bring happiness to us so i mean those projects sound amazing and if people want to know more about self-lifestyle we can share i mean is there a website or something that they can go to we there's, can share there's just it yeah. most to be i don't have a website most of my stuff goes through my linkedin page um okay. for my for my yoga um it's just oh, i'm on instagram so lucy pa self um or and then you can see all the details on there and then for self-lifestyle i have a linkedin profile but most of the time okay. to be honest i just get referrals through through people but if you were interested in pr then that's how you would do it just go onto my linkedin profile and get in touch with me that way okay fantastic and just the last question really i mean we always ask our guests their favorite coping strategies for mental health um i mean what what would you say i mean maybe not we normally ask for one you know but i guess we've talked about yoga so uh, what else would you say so yoga is one what else do you do you know to you know to cope and to scaffold your mental health the thing i think the thing more than anything because i could list lots of lots of my own practices but what Mm. they all do and what i've realized is that I still have a mind, you know, this morning I woke up feeling, I mean, I cried about 10 times already this morning because I woke up feeling very, very anxious because my boyfriend and I had a bit of a Barney last night and he couldn't sleep and whatever. And I woke up feeling like unloved and anxious and, you know, and all of that attachment stuff came back. And yeah. and what I wanted to do was try and fix it and talk to him and basically just look, stare him in the face until we fixed it. But, mm. but actually what I have realized over years and years and years of getting this stuff wrong is that the best thing I can do is find a way to pause 
and breathe. And whether that is yoga, whether that is going for a walk, whether that is yeah. going and swimming in the sea, whether that is just writing a to-do list, whether that's mm. just meditating. Like I've got, there's million, you know, I write, I write a gratitude list every morning. There's, oh, there's lots of different things that I yeah. do. Um, I, you know, I pray, I do prayer and meditation now as part of my AA practice. I, I help other alcoholics as part of my AA practice. There's lots of different things that I do, but all of them just get me out of my own head or get me to pause for a second because what I have found is acting without having that time. I generally make things worse for myself. <laughs> so I, so I'm always, I'm always trying to manage a life that is, as serene as I possibly can. And that involves me not acting all the time. Um, so that's probably my best coping mechanism. And however anyone can find to do that yeah. is, yeah, is, you know, I guess we all have to learn our own ways with that. Yeah. And, and in terms of that coping strategy, yeah, I mean, I'm really resonating with that. You know, I guess there's a bit of a mindfulness element, you know, in there. I'm a big fan of mindfulness and yeah, just trying to create some space between stimulus and response. You know, I mean, you know, we all have different things that trigger us, don't we? You know, and we all respond in different ways, you know, and I think this is probably true for everybody. You know, just trying to open up a window between the stimulus and the response so we can actually take a breath and decide the course of action rather than just act instinctually, you know, drop into a pattern we've probably been in for, you know, 20, 30 years. You know, I mean, that in itself, it sounds like such a small thing. I mean, it does take a bit of practice, doesn't it, honestly? But it can, mm -hmm. you know, really promote enormous changes, I think, in, in people's lives. I mean, we're, we're at the end of the show, Lucy. Is there anything that we haven't mentioned that you would like to? Yeah, do you know what? Actually, yeah. you saying that and me answering that question, I just want to say one thing because it's, mm. it is it is the thing that saved my life over and over again. And, like, I just also just talk, talk to someone else. Um yeah you know, like I have spent I, th I think sometimes I have to learn now as well just to sit with myself um but I that there's the, the 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 connections I formed by being vulnerable and opening my mouth and being honest about how I feel mm. with other human beings and that includes that I still see a therapist mm. um you know and I get perspective on that I have obviously people in recovery that help me massively as well but regardless of whether it's a professional or someone that's you know five years sober or just someone you yeah. know that's your, your mom or your friend or whoever mm. like I do think the power in the power in being vulnerable and just opening your mouth um has been the thing I'm so lucky that that instinctively is easy for me and always has been mm. but I don't I don't mind opening my mouth and saying how I feel um and I know some people find that really really hard yeah. um but that has saved me like more than anything, probably. Um, so yeah, so I think I, 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 I should, I wouldn't, I shouldn't ever talk about mental health without mentioning that. I think. So. Yeah, I mean that you know, open, yeah, I mean just as you say, Lucy, you know, opening up is you know, I mean it, it's dependent on so many things, isn't it? Oh, you know, our, our culture, you know, our families of origin and things, you know, but but it is. It is really difficult for people, you know, but but it is part of, you know, I, I would say, you know, everyone's healing journey, you know, people internalise for years, don't they? You know, but people internalise, internalise, internalise until one day they can't internalise anymore and reaching out, you know, we human beings, we need others being vulnerable and then, you know, enabling someone to come in and perhaps listen. And, you know, sometimes we don't need someone to help us. We just need someone to listen, really, don't we? So, yeah, yeah so that is, I think, tremendously important. Well, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show, Lucy. It's been really nice to meet you. We'll put all of your kind of information about yoga class and uh, self-lifestyle on our socials. And uh, just thank you very much. Thank you.